All right, let's go. I'm good. Check, 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 check. Give me a microphone check, man. Hey, good afternoon, Will, or good evening. What's oh, up, man? Oh, is it? I don't know. You tell. You're the mysterious one piping in here on the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm I'm above the table with all the listeners. I'm Big Will, aka Uncle Buck. This is the Heavy Hole Podcast, and you are our special guest co-host for the evening, Terrell Granum. Is it Terrell Granum or Granum? No, Granum is perfect. You got Terrell Granum. I always knew that. You know, I got it easy with my I got it easy with my name, but uh, you know the, the listeners sometimes maybe they've only seen your name in such illustrious layouts as Reeking Aura, Buckshot Facelift, Thetis, uh, you know other projects you may have be you know been cooking up behind the scenes that are yet to be released. Um, but for people who don't know, you were obviously one of my longtime bandmates, and the contract came up, and it was time for you to co-host an episode of the podcast yourself, man. Thank you for making the time. Of course. I'm glad to make my legal obligation on the show. <laughs> <laughs> of course, man. I don't want to send my probation officers to your house, man. Um, but we did. Well, wait a minute. That's a sec. Speaking of. Well, speaking of probation officers. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of first responders taking the night off and retired cops and probation officers uh, having a night on the town on Long Island, uh, Terrell and I attended an event. At the newly um, renovated and rebuilt Nassau Coliseum here uh, on Long Island, Judas Priest, 50 years of metal with, with uh, special guests Queensryche opening up. Not the, Jeff, not the Jeff Tate Queensryche. I think it's Talatori, but he held it down. No, he held it down. They were excellent. Yeah. Uh, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to recap there, man. Um, allegedly, we did not have to pay for parking. Um, as Starbucks customers, we, we took advantage of those spots. Allegedly cheers to Starbucks. Um, I'm trying to recap everything, everything the right way. So, so when we were walking across the street, that's when we saw the first all-star of the evening. Now I've been saying, (laughs) I've been saying for months, we've been plugging this upcoming concert on the podcast that this was going to be like a retired cop, Long Island, good old boy concert, man. The guy had the the pun. I'm wearing the Punisher shirt in honor of this right now. He had like the pun- yeah. the Punisher skull, American flag style, uh, all the way on the back of his hoodie. Um, but he had the four nine five on it. That was like the coup de gras. It was so amazing. It it was the most Long Island thing. It was. He was like our beacon it, to the show. It was like in some sort of like post like apocalyptic apocalyptic scenario in DC com in in uh, Marvel comics <laughs> where the Punisher is like the government agency that runs the Long Island Expressway. That's like the uniform of the the highway troopers, man. It's really. Uh, but speaking of dystopian, we we walked across that football field. We we probably allegedly could have drank, drank those beers. Uh, on the walk over, Allegedly. just for people who might be taking in the, the sixty years of metal with Judas Priest concert in ten years, <laughs> um, we made our way in. Uh, we were they they changed the layout of the stage from when the tickets were purchased, so they they uh, allegedly up. I'm going to say quote unquote upgraded our seats. Yeah, they said, "Baby, let me upgrade you." Yeah, and I was <laughs> right yeah. on the spot. I definitely felt like I was getting played, like like a video vixen there, man. Because they 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 hit they, yeah they hit us with the bait and switch. I mean, it wasn't a bad area to be positioned. We were pretty cl- as close as you want to be to Queensrÿche and Judas Priest. It was fantastic, man. I thought there, it was a great spot. 
I felt like we were right just out of the range of if the giant Judas Priest's um, symbol with the lights on it that was hanging from the, if that fell, we would have been just outside of the splatter zone. You know? Yeah, we're out the splash zone. Yeah, we were safe. Yeah, we were good, man. And I couldn't smell Todd Latour, you know, or, or um, Eddie Jackson or any of those legends. I could just watch them and listen to their music. So it was a great, great placing. But the second VIP of the night, um, he was not much like these bands. He doesn't strike me as an original member of that crew. He had a handler. He had a big crew of guys <laughs> with him. We'll get into it. So so the usher p- puts us into our new seats that are admittedly like better placed than this the tickets I bought. But next to us is like a, a the, the the typical prototypical Long Island um you know how like in the old cartoons it would say like Homo sapien and then it would say like the Tasmanian devil, like Sar- Sarco Satanic. It would be like Na- <laughs> Nassau Suffocus, South Shore Suffocus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this dude, this 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 dude with a, like a backwards cap rocking out. He had he he literally he was double fisting Bud Lights when I when we first arrived, and we were trying to squeeze into the aisle, and the usher was trying to make him and his whole crew of like linebackers move down. And then we're like kind of chilling watching Queensryche, which was great. And he's rocking out and I see him eyeing me. Yeah, you know when someone's like, well, you know when like like he's probably did it to you. Like he's kind of checking you out from the side while you're both. Yeah, while you feel both. the eyes on, on your back. Yep. And you're acting like you like the band. And then he finally turns to me with like his like beer. I can tell he's wasted. And this is like 15 minutes into the concert starting. Queensryche was the opening band. Um, He goes, hey, I need to know your name if we're going to be neighbors. And he like ra- wraps his arm around my shoulders and gives me like a pound. So I, I like I do in those situations. I told him my name was Bill, because then in the future it's kind of like you know what I mean. You kind of have it's like a red flag if someone calls you that type of thing. So yeah. so I eventually left to get drinks, and you ended up placed by the usher next to Junior. Yes. Yeah, next to Junior. I don't know if you want to recount your experience there. Oh yeah, yeah. So just like Bill's been saying. He went to get beers, and I was right across the aisle because there was a little more space. So I said, you know what? This is an opportunity to go over there and kind of chill out with Bill. No, sorry. Bill and Junior. Yeah. Bill is very chummy, double fisting what is like a 15-year mortgage worth of beers. (laughs) And he's just looking at me, and he gives me that same hand around the waist like we're prom dates, kind of like what Sal would do. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Sal is the reference. Yeah. But you no, know, he's drunk, but he, he's having a good time, and he's he's you know he's trying to be friendly. So he looks over and he says, "You like Judas Priest?" I'm like, uh, "Yeah, you know, of course. That's why I'm here." He looks away, looks back at me, he says, "You don't look like you like Judas Priest." <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of just took me back, and I was like, "Ah, well." And I kind of just stopped there and just kind of looked around. I'm like, "Did that really just happen?" But yeah, it, it was pretty yeah. funny, man. He he meant no harm, but. I was like, you know what? This is the exact experience I wanted. That that is a special <laughs> Long Island moment. The, the the oh my god, the casual racism of a man that wants to drink with you. <laughs> he just wants but, to get drunk he, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was definitely trying to get drunk with us. You know, he was oh, trying man. to be cool. You know me. I'm. I usually come in low key. I had my jacket on. No, no metal stuff. Repping my yeah. Giants hat on. Yeah, I was undercover. Yeah. I was really looking like an undercover cop or something. I, you and me were giving off a weird vibe too, because I was, I had like my, I had a fishing baseball cap backwards, 
You know what I mean? Like I, you know, I had like just like a black on black hoodie. I was I, I was wearing blue jeans instead of sweatpants to throw the paparazzi off, the heavy hole paparazzi and all that. But we we definitely had some sort of narc vibe, I think, when we walked in, and we were kind of like awkwarded out by Junior and his row, <laughs> his row of associates that were all clearly drunk. So I think we were given that, like, it was kind of like, a, you know, we, we were playing each other type of vibe. We didn't know if they were cool. But you know who was kind of cool? Junior and all his friends disappeared, maybe to do cocaine in the bathroom, maybe not. I don't know. I, I didn't follow them, all right? <laughs> but they were gone a long time after Queensryche to the point where that girl rolled up. There was there was these two women and their boyfriend, I guess. Uh, or that, or maybe a guy. He didn't seem. He seemed like maybe like he was at the concert solo, and he he found those chicks. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He, yeah. He, Can I tell? Weird vibe, right? Like it. Like he was kind of just tagging along. There was, but there was these two women, and their whole stick. They kept asking you and me if those guys were coming back, and I was like, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully they were just just, just Queensrÿche fans, and they got to go to work tomorrow, and they're out. But she was scheming on their seats, and the whole time, this these the, these two girls and this this guy that was kind of hanging out with them, they were scheming on that row of seats. I was kind of hoping they would get it because they seemed more fun than Junior yeah, and, and the gang. I was I was rooting for them the whole time. Yeah, especially since they were gone for so long. They were going a long time, dude. I don't know what they were doing, but I know those type of guys. Like, there's there's ten of them at the bar down the street right now. I'm I'm in the thick of it right now. But we'll say Junior got a little more wavy than he was before because yeah. he had to take a couple breaks during JP. <laughs> well, that's around the time his handler really started handling him. Like there was, you know, there's that one guy in the. It's usually me handling Sal, or it was back in the day when we played a lot of buckshot shows. It would be me. Kind Kind of just like, you know, hovering around Sal with my arm on his shoulder, you know, like, all right, buddy boy, you know, drink a little water. No, no, no. Stop, you know, inside voice. But, but yeah, he had a guy like helping him out. So yeah, it was, but uh, they made it to the end of the show. I believe we, we ended up dipping before them. So they are the true metal warriors, Junior and the gang. Yeah, man. 15 heavy metal years. And epilogue, those two girls and their their friend, uh, they were down in the front, like front row. Several. It looked like it looked like there was some sort of go like back and forth with security in them. They get yep. like a like a Scooby Doo thing. They would pop up <laughs> from one aisle and then the, the, you know what I mean. Like they would they were going back and forth in the aisles and from up front and stuff. And now I think about it, the other gentleman they were with, the shorter guy, he kind of looked like he was uh, about to be an agnostic friend or something. He, they gave me more Staten Island vibes. So I think if we had like an island to island conflict up front in, in the pit to Judas Priest. That guy looked like the, the uh, remember the, the Nintendo game Double Dragon? Oh my God. He had that, he had that <laughs> vibe going, man, with the headband. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was yeah. the, yeah. He was ready. He was the blue one. I respected <laughs> him. I felt really bad because I got placed when we first arrived there next to J- Junior is taller than me. Junior, not that I'm incredibly tall, but I'm like 6'2", and I'm a, I'm a, a pretty big guy. Junior is like dwarfing me with his row of, you know, most likely retired cop buddies or whoever they were, the way they were partying. <laughs> and this gentleman behind me, he was just like trying to see through the sea of humanity. I, You know, I stepped to the side at one point so he could see the bands. I felt bad for him. Yeah, man. But he was cool. That's the the first reason why I, I went across the aisle. I didn't really want to block people. 
I was trying yeah. to be a gentleman, but yeah. you know, Junior was calling, and I had to go. All bets are off when you go to uh, a 50 Years of Metal Judas Priest concert on the South Shore of Long Island where uh, 50-something-year-old grown men are doing cocaine and trying to recapture their youth, allegedly. <laughs> I don't know. They were there. In the, dude, Judas Priest played there in the late 70s and 80s a bunch of times, and it was like... 90% the same crowd. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. We were the outsiders for sure. You have an anecdote about Judas Priest. I think I th- we, we got to get to something uh, first, but when we come back, I-, I want you to share your anecdote and we're going to share our opinions and what we got out of that concert musically instead of just trashing Long Island people based on one experience. <laughs> um, but one experience you you did relate to me in the parking lot, man. Fall is here. It was getting cold out, man. That was the first time I heard someone say, as we say in New York, it was brick out that night. It's brick City. Brick City. And... I don't know if they use that term in Fort Worth, Texas, but they will say that your soul can be frozen, man. We're going to talk to Mike Monday uh, as I struggle here on the segue to get it into balance, man. Mike Monday, guitarist of Frozen Soul, Century Media recording artist in the house tonight, man. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Mike Monday, a guitarist of Frozen Soul from Fort Worth, Texas. How are you, Mike? Good. How are you doing, man? I'm great, man. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude. And, um, you know, like I was saying behind the scenes, we always start off, uh, you know, we obviously want to know about Frozen Soul and some of your plans for this year and for the future. Uh, But before we get into all that current stuff, could you just let me know a little bit about your background? Are you from a musical family? Are there any musicians in your family other than yourself? Uh, Or was there anyone that steered you into heavy metal and hard rock music growing up? Um. So no one in my family is really like musical or plays instruments, really. Uh, my mom played piano a little bit when I was growing up, but uh, it was more like pretty much just like a, as a hobby, only at home, really. Um, but both my parents, um, like in the 90s, were really into like what was on like the radio at the time, you know, like uh, all the grunge bands, uh, like Nirvana, Metallica, Alice in Chains, uh, just bands like that. And uh, so I was always like listening to that, like from a very young age. And then as I got older, you know, through school and things like that, I met more people that were, uh, like into metal and were like always showing me different things. Uh, after a while, actually, uh, uh, through church, I actually discovered <laughs> Metallica and Slayer, uh, through, cause they had like Guitar Hero 3 up there. And so that like kind of like started my little like pigeonhole into, uh, like diving into the world of metal. Okay. Now, um, <clears throat> you mentioned church. Are you are you originally from Fort Worth, Texas? Um, I'm from like the suburbs of Fort Worth. I grew up in a like town around the area called North Richland Hills. 
Okay, and just for, you know, I'm obviously from New York. I've been through Texas a few times, uh, but for the listeners who are not really familiar with the area at all, all right, would you say that you're from more of a conservative area and that the church was um, uh, a meeting place for local youth in, in certain ways? Uh, yeah, i definitely say so, uh, especially like Fort Worth. Um, yeah, uh, going to church for sure. There was uh, lots of young people there from pretty much kind of like the same backgrounds I had. Okay. And, um, now I, I don't want to skip ahead, but I, I, there was something that I enjoyed. And by the way, I might as well credit my research, uh, right now quickly. Um, bringing it backwards, uh, heavy New York, Ken's death metal crypt, AMP reacts, um, have all covered you guys. And, and you guys have obviously been covered by a lot of, uh, bigger uh, platforms and things like that in the last year. We'll get into all that. But something, I think it was with your singer, uh, Chad Green is your singer, right? Yes. If I'm not mistaken, was it him that you met uh, playing Magic the Gathering at a local comic book shop? Yeah, man. So um, uh, there's a store in a town called Bedford called Generation X uh, Comics and Games. And I remember that day, like, very uh, vividly. I remember walking in and saw this dude uh, with the giant print on the back of his shirt that said, Slowly We Rot. And I was like, oh, fuck, this dude's wearing an obituary shirt. Hell yeah. So uh, eventually I, like, introduced myself. And, like, over, like, the course of, like, a few weeks, we, like, play each other in, like, the uh, small tournaments that were there and things like that. Okay, and, and then you guys uh, figured out that you should start a band together at some point, um, or did it happen later? Yeah, so uh, he had just um, recently like ended things with his uh, hardcore band, Vulgar Display. Um, I had also just, uh, I've been jamming with this like kind of like black and crust band called Wild Speaker, and uh even bef- uh, before I left that band, uh, me and him like were like starting to jam. We didn't know like quite what we wanted to do, um, uh, but I ended up leaving that band, and then we just kind of like you know just started playing uh, together. He was a uh, he was actually going to play drums for uh, we wanted to what we what we wanted to do, and uh, he actually ended up like saying he's like you know I want to be a vocalist. Um, but like in the early, early days, like everything we did, like he still like wrote all the drums for everything too. Okay. All right. I just thought that was a really cool story. Um, you know, comic books, magic, the gathering, all that stuff is stuff that we like to talk about here from time to time if it comes up. Um, so let, maybe, maybe let's, let's go back a little bit for, let's not jump too far ahead. We left off. I think you said, um, you had access to playing the guitar hero game, uh, at, at like your local church. Yeah, that's right. Okay, man. So maybe you want to tell me about your first actual guitar. Like, when do you actually get a guitar of your own and start figuring out how to play music outside of this game? Yeah, man. So um, I think I was about, like, nine years old or something like that. Um, I was, like, really, really into, like, Green Day and Blink-182. And I remember hearing the riff Damn It, or the main riff off of Damn It by Blink-182. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to do that. And, um after a while just like expressing my interest and all that stuff, I ended up getting a a guitar for Christmas, um, from my grandma. And then from there just started my journey. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing or anything. It was this little shitty, uh, uh, 
it's made by Washburn. It's like their version of like Fender and Squire. It's like a, it's called the lion. And it's just like some shitty, like Stratocaster knockoff. It came with this like instructional DVD that taught like all the basics and things like that. Um, I ended up like buying a chord chart just so I could learn how to play like certain chords and things like that. Um, after a while I figured out what tabs are and then I was like, Oh, so this is how I can learn to, uh, uh, like play the songs that I like listen to all the time from my favorite bands. Um, and actually when I was in middle school, um, I ended up joining the band there and I wanted to play drums, but they didn't, uh, they'd already like filled out the spots for like the drum section and all that. So I ended up actually playing trombone throughout like my entire time in middle school. Really? That, that doesn't seem like a, uh, an easy instrument to learn. Um, it was, it wasn't like super hard. Um, I mean, the hardest part for me was like figuring out how to read music and, uh, I eventually did. And then as soon as like I got to high school, I didn't do band in high school. As soon as I stopped doing band, like in school, I totally forgot how to read music. I still don't know how to read music. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, at what age now? Cause I, you, you mentioned, um, wild speaker, um, and if I got it right, the band end time, end times goes, um, even, even back further beyond that to like 2011, 2012. Are you an original member of that band? No, I am not. So, um, end times actually started back in like 2007, I think. Okay. Um, that, yeah, Chad was the one that started that band. Um, I didn't join that band until I think about like, I think it was 2017 is when, uh, we got that back together. Uh, cause at first me and Chad were like trying to get frozen soul going. Um, we were jamming with a couple dudes from here that are in the band's, uh, judiciary and earn some like uh, hardcore and punk bands. Um, but it ended up just like not working out. And after that, Chad was just like, Hey man, I'm getting end times back together. You want to play guitar? And I was like, hell yeah. Cause I just wanted to play, you know, at this point i wasn't like actively like playing shows or anything like that so i was just uh excited to do that and um with end times um got that back together we started playing shows with like the old material and then we started working on a, a album and i think we took us about a year to write the album and record it and um the album still hasn't seen the light of day yet. It still needs uh, some work done to it, like some like editing and like different touches and things like that. But after we uh, finished recording that, you know, me and Chad were like still really fired up to like write music and stuff like that. And I had like a bunch of riffs like left over from that project and uh, like stuff that either like we just like didn't have like uh, room for on the record or like it was just a little like too heavy for the direction we were going because end times was more of like a very melodic band whereas frozen souls like real like heavy like breakdown focus and things like that and so um yeah that's pretty much how end times at least my story in end times kind of started and segued into frozen soul Okay, got it. Because and I, I listened to the most recent End Times release, the self-titled two-song promo, uh, 2019, 
And you you can definitely hear some things that you know that would infer maybe it's it's similar uh, musicians and ideas going on. But I know what you mean. There's a little bit more atmosphere. Um, definitely a different vibe. Whereas Frozen Soul, it seems like maybe you guys are trying to strip things down and streamline it into a uh, just more of a brutal um, headbanger kind of um, vibe. Yeah, pretty much. We all really like to just like groove and like really like feel the music and just kind of like rock out to it. Um, so that's like the focus we had with it. Cause, uh, when we started frozen soul, like the whole thing was with it was like, Oh, this is just like another thing we're doing. We didn't plan to like stop end times or anything. Um, we were just doing like something else cause we were just fired up, you know, we wanted to like keep the fire going. Right. And, and so you guys with frozen soul, um, you eventually dropped the encased in ice demo in 2019, um, I mean, at what point do you, do you start realizing that there's a lot of hype around the band? Because you guys for, you know, I would imagine for century media to start, start showing interest in you guys, you guys did the groundwork there and had a little bit of a swell of, of support and hype online for them to notice that. Um, like, is there anything you can credit that to, or like, what, what would you, what would you say about that, that period? you know, what, was there an effort of like conscious, consciously saying we want to do this and blow up as big as we can? Um, I mean, that was always the goal. Uh, like once, when, when me and Chad started playing together, that was always the goal from day one, no matter what band we were doing, uh, be it with end times and or frozen soul. Um, but, uh, kind of go back on what you said about like, when I like kind of started like noticing like things were like happening around the hype and stuff like that. I think it was, um, it was after like the very first tour that we did. Uh, so it was like end times and frozen soul together. I remember we did that tour and it was just like a little week long run. We went to like LA and back and hit the like big cities on the way. And, uh, I remember on, on that tour that was, uh, all the shows are just like so fucking awesome. And, uh, they were a lot of fun and we actually like came home with money. Like usually when you're like a really, really underground band, especially a new band and you go out on tour, uh, you're like, you got like pretty, uh, like big hole in your pockets and things like that. But we actually like came home with money and we were like, wow, this is like awesome. Like we can actually like take this somewhere. This like means something. Yeah, man. And you, you know, that, that period that we're talking about now, um, slightly before the pandemic, the, um, uh, you know, we'll just say the caveman wave of death metal that, that, you know, is kind of personified by maggot stomp records and other entities, uh, was really picking up steam at that point. Did you guys feel like you were part of a, a youthful, young, new wave of death metal? Yeah, man, definitely. Um, especially like with all the other bands that were on that label around that time. You know, like, we're all, like, friends and stuff, you know? Like, we all enjoy each other's music. And so it was, like, cool to, like, be, like, a part of that wave and, like, be one of, like, the the defining bands of it. Yeah, for sure, man. So uh, how... Now, how soon after Encased in Ice and some of your initial run of shows, like how long, how long had you been playing out live before you were, um, approached by century media records? Um, so the demo dropped March 1st, 2019. 
um, our first official show was, I think, um, it was March 17th of 2019. That was with Blood Incantation, Necrot, and um, a band from Dallas called Steelbearing Hand. And then from there, we did, uh, I think, three little, like, small tours. Um, the first one was Frozen Soul and End Times. And um second one was with our friends Plague Years from Detroit. They're kind of like a thrash band that's uh, been doing something for a while now. And then uh, literally at the start of 2020, like January 1st, uh, we did a tour with Steelbearing Hand, which is uh, Chris, our guitar player's uh, other band. And of course we were all like, we were playing shows like in between all that, like when we were home. Okay, so what I'm getting at here too is right there you said a mouthful in terms of work. Um, getting on the road, playing shows, sleeping in the van, doing what you have to do. Uh, do you feel that that is something that makes a big difference to labels uh, when they see that a band is willing to, to, to put in the work out on the road and put yourselves in front of people? Oh, yeah, 100%. Labels, uh, depending on what label it is, like, they won't even sign a band unless they're touring because that's like the best way to promote a new album you have out. Um, obviously, like, you know, a band puts out a new record and there's songs you really like. Of course, you want to go hear those songs live. So naturally, it only makes sense to go out on the road and like play these songs everyone's like listening to on their own and get the live experience of it. And so like labels, they want you to, you know, like put that work in and show like, hey, like we're serious about this. We want to do this. And that's like one of the biggest ways to show that you like are serious about it exactly it's easy addition it seems obvious but i just wanted to cover that maybe for some of the listeners and i always try to keep in mind there might be younger listeners who are aspiring musicians and things like that there's a very professional side of the music industry even in extreme metal and underground death metal as much fun as we um all can have with this this sort of thing and um i guess the follow-up question i would just i would just ask you based on that is since you've started um, working with uh, uh, Century Media Records, you've also, I'm sure, taken on different elements of uh, promotion and management and booking. Um, what are some of the things you guys have learned along the way playing with uh, you know, higher-level artists, playing in support of bigger headliners and things like that? Um, you know like maybe things that people don't always see behind the scenes. I'm thinking of extremely long rides between shows, sound checks early in the afternoon, um, levels of professionalism that you didn't always see as an underground artist. Uh, yeah, man. So, um, the biggest like piece of advice I can give is, um, like when you're touring, like for the long drives and stuff, just make sure you have something to like keep yourself occupied for me, that's usually just like watching videos on YouTube or TikTok and uh, like playing video games. I like to bring my uh, little Nintendo Switch out and just play games between the long drives. Um, and then, of course, uh, just to like help with your sanity a little bit, you know, just like driving like such long hours every day and then also just being in like the bar environment every night. Like if you have enough time to just kind of like get out and like explore the city a little bit there's some like cool shit like you could find that you would have never like thought you could find like lots of cool record stores, game shops, things like that. Um, definitely, uh, there is a level of professionalism to it. Like if it's like a big tour, like you gotta be there on time. Uh, for the most part, uh, it just depends on like who the tour manager is really. Um, but like, especially if you're like sharing like 
gear with other bands in the back line, things like that. Like, you know, be on time. Of course, if you're sharing a back line, respect everybody's gear. Um, like sometimes like we even help like bands, like get their stuff on and off the stage and things like that. Yeah, of course, man. Um, th- these are the things that go on on, on some of these bigger tours and you guys have performed, uh, in support of bands like gate creeper, obituary, dying fetus, Chelsea grin, um, you've, you've gotten out there. You've really been working hard. Uh, how, like, I mean, ballpark figure, how, how many weeks would you say you guys spent on the road, um, this year, maybe? Uh, this year, I'm trying to think, cause, um, I know the run we do with Dying Fetus and Chelsea Grin was like five weeks. Wow. Um, yeah, I really can't remember what we did in the spring, if I'm being honest with you. That's <laughs> fair enough, man. Every day, it's just like there's there's so much shit going on every day. It turns, um, it turns into a blur know, after a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do know, well, so here in like three well, three days from now, at the time of us doing this interview, uh, we're leaving to go out with Napalm Death, and that one's about four weeks. So um, just off those two alone, uh, it'll be like nine or ten weeks for the whole year. But that's just this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys were able to get out there um, last year once things started opening up, I know, too, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because you, you, you put out the album, obviously, January of 2021, where things were still very limited in terms of touring. Yeah, so um, the first show we played back was, I think, in May of 2021. Um, there's a local brewery here, uh, close to where we practice called division brewing. And, uh, we did a collaboration with them on a beer. So they made a frozen soul beer called frost tamer. And, uh, we did like a little record signing event at, uh, the CD warehouse that's, uh, like right down the street too. Uh, so that was like the first show that we did back and that was a lot of fun. And after that, we did like five days with goat whore in Texas, which was also a lot of fun. And then later that year we went out for, I think it was like seven weeks with sing with Suga Bog, on the fourth and inoculation. Seven weeks. Um, just for, for the listeners, that is an extremely long amount of time to be on the road with your band. No. Uh, yeah, that one was, that one was really brutal. It was a lot of fun, but it was brutal being away from home that long. Yeah, man. Um, what's now being from uh, the Fort Worth area of Texas? What's what's something you guys all miss? What's a little slice of home? Like, what's something you guys always make sure to hit if you're only home for a few days between tour or something? Uh, we always make sure to go get like real tacos from an actual taco place. Uh, it's really hard for me, at least for me personally, to find like good Mexican food that I like outside of Texas. I know a lot of people like hype up California, but I don't really enjoy California Mexican food all that much. So when I'm, whenever I'm home, that's like how I like kind of like recollect myself and be like, yes, this is nice. I miss this so much, you know? Okay, man. And, and, and um, now I got to ask a question to another Fort Worth related question. You, you said before, I believe you were also in the band vulgar display, right? Uh, no, I was not in Vulgar Display. That was Chad. Okay, pardon me. Yeah, and I know uh, there's a fellow named, uh, is it Michael Schmuck, who at one t- one time played with you guys and still works with you guys on, on, on the production end? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's Daniel Schmucks. So um, da- Daniel, so I'm, he, I'm I'm all over the place. Pardon me. Oh, that's okay, man. Yeah. So he uh he was um so he was in end times with us also, and when we started end times uh or not end times when we started Frozen Soul, we we're like, hey man, you want to play with us? And he's like, yeah, sure. And uh, he did uh, one show with us, that show with Blood Incantation and Necrot, and then he ended up uh, leaving the band after that. He just wasn't like the type of thing he wanted to do. He's really more into like uh, like the melodic side of stuff. But um, he still worked with us. Uh, he produced Crypt Device for us, and then he also uh, just recently was uh, engineering our next record that's going to be out on Century Media that we just finished recording. Okay, man. Yeah, I was I was trying to get a little bit into the the like the, the the past there a little bit, but since you brought me there, let's talk about that because, like I said before, January two thousand twenty one, um, a little a little while ago now was when you released your your uh, debut album on um, Century Media, Crypt of Ice. What can you tell us about your follow up album? Um, so this one, uh, I feel like it's a lot more dynamic in terms of uh just like how the songs sound overall. Um, this one's a lot more fun to play in my personal opinion. It's like more riffy, but not technical, if that makes sense. Um, it's kind of like a lot more going on with the guitar work. Um, there's solos this time, which I'm really stoked about because we didn't have solos on the last record. Really? Um, I think of what else I can say. Um, Hmm. We do uh, one of my favorites on this record. Technically, it's like two songs, but they kind of like blend in together as one, the way like one ends and the next one starts. And they're both like kind of connected and both tell the same story. It's kind of like a part one and a part two. Um, That's one of the ones I'm the most excited about. Okay, so it sounds like you guys are fleshing out the songwriting a little bit, whereas the first one was kind of... Um, is it fair to say that Crypt Device may have been written more with the live environment in mind? Yeah, Crypt Device was definitely more... Uh, had that approach to it. But also that one, it was just like, we were just really, really trying to like get a record out so we could like just like keep the ball rolling, you know? Um we just wanted to like keep putting music out so that way we can like just keep it rolling basically with a machine like i would imagine century media records has working for its bands does that alleviate you guys in ways to just focus on the songwriting and the art without having to worry about promoting your band as much and um some of the the little nuts and bolts things that that artists uh worry about um behind the scenes yeah uh definitely um it- they handle a lot of like the advertisement and things like that. Um, and also like getting us opportunities. They help us with like, um, they actually helped us find the studio that we recorded at. It's called empire sound studio in Dallas. Um, they like put us on with like, um, like artists and like people that do music videos, uh, have done music videos for like their other bands and things like that. So they help take care of like a lot of things that, um, would just take up more time normally. Yeah, um, access, man. It's a, it's a big deal. Um, and now, something you know, you brought up Dallas again. Something else, I, you know, what I was getting at with that when I brought up the uh, the Ben Vulgar display. Um, 
obviously is, or maybe not so obviously, uh, Pantera as a band, um, as a as a fanship. How big is that locally and regionally? For you guys, is that kind of a shadow that's over the local music scene in some ways? You know, I'm just thinking in New York, we have our artists that are like that here uh, and that will always be like that here. I just kind of wanted to get your perspective as an insider, maybe from that area. Yeah, 100 percent, man. So, um, I mean, Pantera is like all over the place here. I work at a guitar shop down here and I get people coming in all the time wearing Pantera shirts and things like that. In that guitar shop, actually, we have one of Dimes, uh, old Washburn that he used to play. Um, and we actually, right now, we're technically based out of Arlington, which is the same city that Pantera is from. So we see it like everywhere, uh, even like in Dallas and Fort Worth. Okay, man. Yeah, I just had to ask, man, um, uh, you know, the, because you 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 know you hear uh, them reference Fort Worth obviously in, in some of their music and things like that. Um, now, well, talking about um, uh, guitar shops and things like that, maybe let's talk a little bit about gear. Here's a question I got for you: Is Frozen Soul an HM2 band? Um, by the way, I don't know if you want to take that as a, as a genre title, or just in terms of do you use that pedal or what sort of gear do you use? Um. So when we like. So the second time when, so after end times ended and we started frozen soul, we were originally going to do the H and two sound because we wanted to be like, like end times is still like kind of a death metal band with like the new stuff we were writing, but we still wanted to separate ourselves from end times with frozen soul. Um, so we were going to do an, uh, do it as an H and two. And then after a while we were just kind of like, this doesn't really like fit the vibe of like the actual music itself. Um, I remember when crypt device came out, a lot of people, like asked if we use HM2s and we didn't use HM2s at all on that record. Mm. Um, it's just very like mid range heavy and things like that. And the bass especially has like a really, really like distorted tone on it. Um, so I can get like why people, uh, kind of like got that vibe. But right now, um, I use a 6505, uh, PV 6505 into two oversized Mesa 412s with a British V30s. Um, I have my main guitar as my 1986 custom shop BC rich Ironbird. Um, for pedals, um, I keep it really, really simple. I just do like tuner overdrive and noise gate. And for my, uh, overdrive, I use a Maxon ST9 pro plus, and I use a Tannhauser, uh, from Lone Wolf audio. And then for, uh, live samples, I use what it's a loop station called the jam man stereo. I use that to play our samples live. Um, but yeah, I just keep it real simple in terms of my gear. Okay, I appreciate that, man. A lot of our listeners like to get that behind-the-scenes stuff on the gear. Um, being a vocalist myself, you know, I only have so much I can contribute to that, man. But that, that's uh, that's good to know. And, uh, what you, you know, you talked to us about your initial guitar from back in the day that you got. Uh, what kind of a guitar do you play nowadays? Um. Yeah, it was like I was just saying, I uh, my main guitar right now is a 1986 USA BC Rich Ironbird. Um, I have a, I think it's like a Platinum Series Warlock that I have as my backup, but um, that one I'm kind of like, not really retiring, but I'm not using it on my tours right now just because that one needs a lot of like hardware upgrades because it doesn't fucking stay in tune at all. Mm. Um, so I've also got this, uh, I've got a seven string uh, Jackson Rhodes. 
with some uh, Seymour Duncan Invaders in it that I'm going to be taking on this tour in a few days as my backup. Um, and then one of my other guitars, I, I only own like three or four guitars. Uh, I don't like to, I don't like being one of those guys that just like buys a bunch of guitars and then doesn't play them. I like to play all my guitars. And then the one I don't really play all that often because I retired it is I have this Epiphone Les Paul that I've had for like 15 years now. Um, that's the guitar I used in like the very early days of Frozen Soul. I used that to record a uh, Crypt of Ice with. Um, yeah. All right. I appreciate the rundown, man. Um, and now, speaking of Crypt of Ice, just a- another quick thing I wanted to throw out there. I enjoyed the album. Uh, very kind of like you know old school balls to the wall approach. No frills. Um, now, obviously, everyone's brought up bolt thrower. You guys have had you know bolt thrower this, bolt thrower that. People love to throw that around with you guys. Um, something that occurred to me is uh, I wanted to, I wanted to just throw this out to you. Uh, a band that has actually a little bit of a connection to Napalm Death, who you mentioned you're going to be going out with soon, uh, Benediction. Um, particularly, they had, a, they had an album, Transcend the Rubicon, that I've always really enjoyed. I just want to know if maybe that might have been uh, a, a, an album or a band you've, you guys have kicked around in the past, because I, I just noticed a little bit maybe of a uh, similar similar vibe. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, me and Chad love Benediction. That album, Transcend the Rubicon, is a fucking banger. It's tough. It's a tough album, man. Yeah, I say that with all due respect um, as a compliment, man. That was something else that kind of came to my mind. You know, obviously, um, there are some bolt thrower influences going on, as as many platforms have pointed out with you guys in the past. I don't know if you want to touch on that, too, man. Do you feel like maybe you've been unfairly pigeonholed as the bolt thrower band in some ways because that was used so heavily in comparison and, and promotion and stuff like that? Um, I mean... It doesn't really bother me because, I mean, both of those fucking badass, man. Like, <laughs> sick being compared to a badass band. And what's funny, too, is, like, sometimes people compare us to Morbid Angel, which I don't think we sound anything like Morbid Angel. But, um, I mean, I'm not really a fan of Morbid Angel, but I, I think they're a badass band and I respect them. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's just getting compared to, like, these legendary bands that help define death metal, to me, is really, really awesome. Fair enough, man. Fair enough, man. Yeah, that that's a good answer, man. Um, the morbid angel thing. All I'm gonna tell you is you got to pick your era, um, and and work out from there, man. It's not. It's you know. It's not necessarily an easy band to get into from the go if you don't know where to start, man. Um, yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll agree to disagree there because there's definitely morbid angel albums. I'm not a big fan of myself. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'll, I, won't, I won't get into specifics there, man. Um, but I, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, you, it, it's it's been great talking to you, and I don't want to um, take up too much of your time now. You said um, I don't know if you gave us a time frame for this next Crypt of Ice album. Obviously, we don't want you to spill any beans or release dates or anything. But when can people expect that? Maybe, uh, like late spring of next year, I think. Uh, we got a pretty pretty big tour going on around that time uh i can't spill any details on that either um but it'll be i think it'll be released like either while we're on that tour or like right before that tour okay and what uh region is this napalm death tour covering coming up so this one's uh mostly like east coast of the united states mm. um it ends in la but that's about as far west as we go with them they actually started the tour a little bit early I think uh, in like the Pacific Northwest or something like that. Um, but we're linking up with them 
uh, shit, I can't even remember the first city, but I know we, our first show with them is on the 21st. Is this also with Brujeria? Yes. That's right. I think you guys are going to be, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to be in New York, um, around Halloween. Maybe I'm, maybe, maybe, I don't know if you're going to be on that wing of the tour. I don't know. Thought so. Yeah, we got two shows in uh new york i think on this tour fair enough okay so i'm gonna tell our listeners to be on the, the watch out for that i mean <laughs> it's napalm death and Bruheria and frozen soul man i think they know about it already but uh just to remind them and refresh their memories they're gonna look out for that right, is there anything else after this napalm death run that you're at liberty to talk about uh you know coming to shows festivals things like that uh so i gotta ask when's the episode gonna be out if you have like a general time frame um, I think I'm looking at pr- probably this week or next week before Halloween. Before Halloween. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just spill the beans with it now. Um, oh. we are going on tour with dying fetus nasty. And I can't remember the other band, but we're doing a European tour with dying fetus, uh, in February and March. Okay, man. Awesome. Yeah. Dying fetus, very hardworking band. Um, out there, man. I mean, let, let me ask you that too, man. You guys have toured. You, you this wouldn't be your first run with Fetus, too. You guys have been out there with Fetus and Chelsea Grin at one point, right? Yeah. So that was uh back in May of this year. Now with a band. Now I, you know, I've just I've I've opened up in support of Dying Fetus a few times. So I, you know, I've got to like see a little bit of how they operate, and they strike me as an extremely professional, hardworking. Uh, like well-oiled machine in terms of guys who can get on tour and know what it's about and and all that sort of a thing, man. Being around artists like that, um, uh, has that changed your perspective of, of death metal and of the music game in, in general? And um, j- just seeing like like there's a, there's a level of sacrifice those type of bands have to do too, you know? Oh yeah, one hundred percent, man. Um, yeah, just going out there with those guys um, and just seeing how like they do it especially for how long they've been doing it. Um, like you, you really learn a lot from that. Those guys are like so down to earth and so hardworking. I love those dudes. Yeah, man. I've, um, I, I've, I've met a few of them over the years and, um, you know, John, John Gallagher seems like a really down to earth guy that still kind of stays with the pulse of the underground death metal scene, uh, as well, man. Maybe one day if those guys got five minutes in between, uh, drives, we could, we could talk to them sometime, but, um, Mike, it's been great talking to you. And as we uh, round round down, I'm going to ask you the typical heavy hole podcast question, and then give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything we may have missed. But could you please recommend for uh, us and me and the listeners an old uh, release and a new release, demo, EP, album, anything, uh, just something a little bit from back in the day and something from a little bit more current times to listen to, metal or otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for old release, I have to go with uh, Shadows of the Past by Sentenced. Um, that wow. record, in my opinion, is like the best finished death metal album ever. Out mm. of all the bands that have mm. come from there and all that, that's that's my favorite one personally. That that record, uh, that record plays a huge part in uh, Frozen Soul in terms of like how we like write our songs. 
Well, I that's that is a great album. It's not necessarily the first album that always come up when people talk about that old school class of Finnish death metal because Sentenced tends to be known for something a little bit different. But that album is like a, it's a great example of that kind of cryptic old school Finnish death metal. Something I know I know that at least a Dramalek and uh, Demolik owe to Bolt Thrower a big part of their sound. Um, do you, would you say that Finnish death metal, uh, fil- bolt thrower filtered through Finnish death metal has been a big, um, inspiration in general for frozen soul since you bring that up? Yeah. At least for me personally, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of both those bands you mentioned, Demolik and, uh, Adrenalik. Um, I, I just love how like weird it is and how like different they're trying to be and things like that. And so that kind of like inspires me to, at least on this most recent record, uh, just kind of like do something different with my riffing and all that. Very excited to hear that, man. And I did hear some of that. I try, you know, it's kind of like a thing where I talk about the old school Finnish death metal so much that sometimes I try to put a leash on myself. Um, so I didn't really bring it up too much tonight, but I did hear some of that. It reminded me of some of that classic old school, Adramalek. Um, you know, in particular, the, the way some of the riffs break down and, and, and that sort of thing, man. So it's really interesting that you would bring up that Sentenced album, which, like I said, deserves credit, but maybe isn't the first one that people always bring up, man. Definitely worth a shot. Yeah, for sure. That was underrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. You got uh, something a little bit newer? Yeah, man. So for new, um, I would say The Nine Choirs by Tribal Gaze, um, some fellow oh. Texas boys. Man, that record is fucking goddamn. It's so heavy. I saw when I was doing my metal shout to Metal Archives, huge resource for the podcast. Obviously, I saw that there was um, a little bit of a crossover with. Uh, I think maybe a guy had played live for them, who who was working with you at one point, and things like that. Um, and there were some some band members in common and other bands, man. Yeah, that tribal gaze. Shout to uh, Mark Valentino, uh, a bandmate of mine, and he's also in Stabbed and Blame God. He played me that tribal gaze um, just recently, and it really blew my mind. I got to say, the vocals stood out to me as really original and unique. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I love what those guys are doing, uh, especially, like, they're the only band in Texas right now that are, like, doing anything like that. And... uh yeah, I mean, I just, I love it. We've been, like, pushing for them real hard, like, posting about them all the time and things like that. Hell yeah, that that was cool shit, man. What, what else, I mean, I, it seems like you come from a fairly strong local scene um, with, end, with End Times and with, uh, you know, Frozen Soul coming out of this scene. Are there any other bands you want to shout out quickly? Um... Not, not to put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good, man. Um... Yeah, definitely Tribal Gaze, um, Creeping Death, for sure. Love those dudes. We've been friends with those guys for over, like, a decade now. Uh, we've all, like, played in bands together, too. Love Creeping Death. Um, Power Trip and Fugitive, of course. Uh, we've all known those guys forever. Um, Imperial Slaughter, Ozone, Urn. Um, i trying to think of who else. The Kinky Bastards. Uh combat well lots of great bands from around here man um fair enough and and just quick question the same way i asked you about pantera before yeah i i would so I, I guess i would infer then that your your area is also associated with power trip oh yeah yeah for sure um so 
power trips from Dallas. Um, and uh, all of, like, Chad and Matt's old bands, like, they, like, came up with Power Trip back in the day. Actually, so when End Time started in 2007, that's right around the same time that Power Trip started. And some current members of Power Trip actually used to play in End Times in the very, very beginning. Uh, I think it was uh, Nick and Chris Wetzel, I believe, played in End Times back in the day, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of history uh, with Power Trip and the... Uh, frozen soul at least with the members and things like that interesting okay and creeping death i read about a lot too when i was preparing for the interview too i you know i got the impression that that was kind of like a little like a brother band type of situation for you guys um the power power trip uh relationship i didn't realize either. so there, there's there is a lot of history man that's interesting and i am looking forward to hearing the next frozen soul album um especially with some of the hints you gave us about where the band might be going in terms of uh, composition and direction. Um, uh, so, Mike, I really appreciate your time. Any, you know, anything I might have left out? Uh, any, anything you want to plug or promote before we get out of here? Um, just come see us on tour with Napalm Death. Uh, I think it ends like right before Thanksgiving. We'll be all over the East Coast of the U.S. Fair enough, man. Uh, just in time for the holidays. And like I said, if you're listening to the show regionally here in New York or in the New England area, I believe that tour uh, hits New York around Halloween. Um, so look it up. You can always check out nycmetalscene.com, our friend Matt over there. Mike, uh, thank you very much. Parting words for fans of Frozen Soul and listeners of the podcast. Uh, keep it fucking heavy, man. Uh, keep sporting death metal. Uh, thank you to anybody that's listening that loves Frozen Soul and supports us means the whole world to all of us to be able to do what we do hell yeah man i appreciate your time mike we'll be in touch brother cool sounds good man thanks for having me on this was a lot of fun Thank you very much to Mike Monday, guitarist of Frozen Soul from Fort Worth, Texas, man. Century Media recording artist. Very excited to see what they do next. Um, and Terrell, you're still with me, right? Hell yeah, we're here. All right. Thanks for hanging with me, man. Uh, I'm excited to see what you got next because, as we said, we dropped a lot of um, raw observation on the, the, the Nassau Suffolkus and his home environment of a Judas Priest concert. It's a special breed of Long Islander, man. People don't believe me, but Terrell, you, you can testify now that it's out there. It's real. It's not, see, it's, you, you can't really blame Sal. It's just a species of person. It's not, it's not him. But um, you have an anecdote about someone who grew up a long way from Long Island now uh, uh, in terms of Judas Priest, man. Drop it for the people real quick. Yeah, so I was just going back glowing over that awesome Judas preset. That was the first time I saw them. And I was just doing a little more reading on the live guitarists, knowing that KK Downing and Glenn, Glenn Tipton weren't playing in the band anymore. So I just saw that Richie Faulkner, uh, one of the guitarists that we did see live, um, actually had a heart, his pretty much his heart exploded. How, how metal can you get with that? Right. Damn. 
in uh, September 27th of 2021, Jadis Freeze actually had to postpone the same tour that we saw, the 50 Heavy Metal Years. So he, because of that uh, heart explosion that ha- apparently happened while they were playing Painkiller, which is like their he- heaviest song, you can't get yeah. more brutal than that, right? He had to have emergency heart surgery. Wow. So the man, like he shredded his ass off and he's back in the game like nothing. And what I thought was interesting is they ended up putting some metal pieces, like reconstructing part of his chest after the surgery. And uh, if you noticed, as part of the JP or the Judas preset, they had JP Metalworks. And Richie Faulkner used to play in a band called Metalworks before he joined Judas Priest. And now he's literally has metal works in his chest. Whoa. So I'm just triangulating this, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I, was, I was tapping wow. in, dude. Wow. Okay. That's that's a deep dive. I appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, because as we all know, you know, I when I told people I was going to see Judas Priest, heard a lot of the cover band jokes. Um, a lot of people say, and I, you know, uh, I don't know, man. I said that about uh, when Cryptopsy played None So Vile uh, with just the one guitarist and it was just Flo Monier. But there's something special about Judas Priest now, man. Like, it's like you said, obviously, we don't, it's not K.K. Downing or Glenn Tipton um, at, at this point. But it's, uh, I mean. You have Rob, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's still killing it. And it's also a band that's kind of like, I mean, they're, they're, if you go back and want to talk original lineups, it's like, yeah, well, Rob Halford wasn't the original singer, but it's, you know, yep. they put on a hell of a fucking show, man. They killed it. That that was one of the, that I felt like I went to school for metal. I felt reinvigorated. Um, I'm going to come clean with you and with the listeners about something. Um, you know, I use this show as a little bit of therapy sometimes. Watching Rob Halford up there on stage, I felt embarrassed to have worn track pants. <laughs> when I performed for Exsanguinated uh, last time. I have, you know, I got to invest in some blue jeans uh, and make things more metal here. Um, Get a I, little more leather. Yeah, I think he, yeah. he must have had about I, seven different jackets. He switched it up a lot. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get into leather. Um, <laughs> headgear, been there, done that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, Shout but yeah, out to the roadies yeah, with the uh, goggles. But yeah, yeah, track pants. Uh, I, I, I'm not doing that again. I, I, I let myself and my bandmates down, and most importantly, the audience down. But uh, moving on, Ozzy Osbourne w- wore track pants on stage a lot. I've, I've seen Ozzy a few times. You um, gotta be comfortable, bro. Yeah, no, you gotta be more like Rob, not be like Ozzy. But yeah, the, the, you made a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. There was the, the roadies, the Judas Priest road crew. Very impressive. Yeah. They, they had a look. They had, they all had like, they all looked like, uh, airline mechanics or something. They had like the, the, what do you call those? The coverall suits. Yeah. Almost like jumpsuits or something. And but they and, were a tight knit, man. They, they were, and the, they were, a couple of them looked old. Like they've been doing it since like the, you know, like since like 30 years of metal or what, at least, you know what I mean? The guy, yeah, I, for sure. and you pointed out the one guy had like the, the dune buggy goggles for some reason. <laughs> he was like, he was up there like checking vocal mics and he was wearing dune buggy goggles. I, I, you know, more power to him. It's a look. Yeah. He almost seemed like the orchestrator or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Maybe he's been the man behind the curtain for Judas Priest for 50 years. He's, he's the one, uh, uh, he's the, he's the real vocalist, the real one man band. I don't know. But, um, 
moving on, man. And I gotta say, I really enjoyed Queensryche, by the way. Um, we they played a short set. That's my that's yeah. my big complaint, and why I almost feel like subconsciously like breezing over it. They played a short set. Um, yeah, we thought it would be a little longer, you know, considering. But. I guess maybe now with the new lineup, I always thought that Queensryche and Judas Priest could be a double bill. But I, I'm learning now that Queensryche does not have that pull that Judas Priest has at this point, man. Um, but yeah, they did. They Queensryche, if 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 you that if you haven't missed that tour locally where it's going, that 50 Years of Priest uh, tour with uh, Queensryche, um, they're doing a great set of pulling out uh, old school hits. They're they're sticking to what the fans want. They throw a couple of new ones in there. The new the new Queensryche album is also really good fan service Solid. to the 80s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Queensryche definitely worth checking out, man. They, I, whatever the new lineup is, uh, you know, with Todd and, um, uh, the new drummer and they, there's another, there, there was a, that, that guitarist, the guy that looked like a cowboy, he's, <laughs> yeah. I, they, he's, he's from some other band. I forget what they, what they okay. say. Yeah. But he, I, he's giving me a Dave Vincent cowboy vibes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's got the kind of like Bon Jovi, sat- Satan, <laughs> satanic Bon Jovi thing. I don't, I don't know where we're going. Yeah, you're sick though. Yeah, but um, definitely, definitely a, a, a show worth checking out, man. Allegedly, if you got edibles, uh, even more so, highly recommended. Um, but moving on, Terrell. Speaking of recommended things, you agreed to hop on and help me co-host this this week's episode, uh, and that, of course entitles you to recommend two albums you picked two absolute bangers from completely different necks of the woods and genres of music uh let's go gentlemen's pick which one you want to talk about first all right we could keep it with the metal and our first pick is a colossal titan strife by the band chronos Hmm. and this is a french band and they dropped this album in 2004 it's definitely one of my favorite death metal albums of all time I think it's an extremely well-written album, and it's very catchy to the point where I compare it to an album like None So Vile. That's one thing I love about None So Vile. It's, sometimes I call it almost like a pop album because you can sing every hook on None So Vile just like you can with Kronos. Hits oh. you on the production. It's clean. You can hear every guitar. It's tight, but it's not quantized. Nothing's uh, overdubbed or you know, too mechanical. And the vocals are, has always been brutal, but, you know, listen, uh, being introduced to you um, in, uh, back in the day with uh, early Cataclysm and hearing about Sylvain, I, I realized that this guy kind of sounds like Sylvain a little bit, but way more boxed in and on the rails, kind of like the whole band uh, carries the music. Yeah, really cool shit. K.R. O N O S, uh, just for the listeners when they want to look it up. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Completely off of my radar. I don't know how I missed this, but um, uh, I thought you were on point with with it's it's catchy. It's like airtight. There's kind of a deicide vibe, um, yep. and I hear that kind of epic cataclysm vibe. But like you say, the vocals are reined in. They're not all over the place, which is more what you want. Like not not every band can get away with that frantic vocal style that you know Sylvain from Cataclysm was known for. But yeah, there's there's a definite urgency in the vocals and a tightness in the, in the performance. Man, really cool shit. And being 2004, the production it's not. 90s you know room mic production but it's also not completely airtight sterile production it's very early 2000s it reminds me of some of the recordings that were coming out around that time where 
Um, people were experimenting with digital production still and what they could do with home-based uh, recordings and, and you know but but still kind of like real performances um you know more so back then man Re- really cool album man i appreciate this one it's definitely one for the listeners it's just like a solid chunk of um uh you know it's not old school but it's also at this point in time it feels nostalgic for the early 2000s because it's not it's not it's not showing off and flashy like tech death it's not airtight sterile production there's something really cool about this for people may i would say maybe people who are into that kind of like early couple of eras of deeds of flesh uh mm-hmm. or if you're into like you know discord's cali and the brutal bands and you're just looking for you know a a new fix kind of you know band like this is a great great place to look yeah man i think it's a well-balanced album to all the points you mentioned you know fans of vile and deicide a little bit of suffocation you can't go wrong because you're hearing all those elements in that band it's when you say brutal death metal as a term now it kind of like has this connotation of being like a monotonous wall of sound um but that's not what this is this is like it's you're right it's memorable and it's catchy man good shit man um i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a big shout to tom to bring it in So that was Kronos with a K from France, 2004. Um, now your other suggestion, uh, you brought it. You brought it way back, uh, closer to home. Not quite Long Island, um, because I brought you to Long Island and gave you a big taste of how grimy Long Island gets the other day. So, <laughs> so it was only right uh, that you brought me back to this album, which gives people a big taste of how grimy and raw New York hip hop was in the 90s. Man, uh, take it away. Yeah, bro. So my second pick was Children of the Corn, Collector's Edition. It's not an official edition. It's really more like a mixtape. And I chose this one because, you know, we're in October. We're getting close to Halloween. It's that spooky time of year. You got Children of the Corn, but then you got this awesome rap group with some of my favorite rappers um, doing their first project together. And, you know, we're talking about the lights of Cameron. Back in the day was Killer Cam. Big L Mace, who was called Murder Mace back then, right? Um, you had Cameron's cousin, Bloodshed, and uh, McGruff, a.k.a. the Crime Dog. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like as 90s as it could get. But even when you're hearing the raps, it's, it's dark, man. It, it's, it's heavy. And he, a lot of people that know Cameron, they know his uh, mid-2000s identity, which is about the, the pink and ooey-gooey lemon cello linguini <laughs> fettuccine right like jokey lines but you real if you really sift through it there's there's the talent he's always good with multis right but it's always been a little goofy right so when i found out about children of the corn back in the day i, I don't know if i got like a bootleg off of flabbish avenue or something like that I, I you know i ripped it and i put it on my mini disc player and i was like wow and hearing like mace like mace not the born again christian mace that we know nowadays this is murder mace like doing crazy freestyles you know back in the day so this was awesome um 
even just tying it back to uh, some of these bands and, and another band we'll talk about, um, a lot of artists that we hear now, so, sometimes we don't like how they progress, whether they've gotten less heavy or uh, less dark in our eyes. And uh, just know that we always have the older bands, the older music to always go back to. Ah. And and this, this is a great example with, with Cam because he's doing this crazy multis, but he's doing it with dark rap and more violent stuff. Um, it's, it's not the, you know, the pink hip hop of the 2000s. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, for me, growing up, the Dipset was like a big part of my life. I didn't really grow up with new metal. For me, it was Dipset, G-Unit, and, you know, Nas and Jay-Z. That, that was big, Hot 97. So it was awesome to kind of dig back and hear this. And uh, since we love death metal, man, this there's no shortage of death, unfortunately, with this group. Uh, because uh, Big L, you know, everybody knows Big L. He was unfortunately taken from us in the late 90s, um, not too long after he dropped his first, like, big album. And uh, Bloodshed, another member of the band who was Cameron's cousin, uh, died in a car accident. So they split up, and they went their ways, and we know those artists um, that survived uh, to this day. Yeah. Yeah, a lot there, man. Um, a lot there for for hip hop fans, because yeah, because people, some people don't even realize this group, and it had so many, you know, big names like Big L. I hear come up a lot. Uh, I see every once in a while someone wearing a, a t shirt or something like that, man. I, I feel like he's kind of got this cult following that permeates the metal and the hardcore scene too. A lot of people just know him and respect him, but people might not realize that there was this connection with this group. And like you say, like I'm, I'm a few years older than you, but that whole Dipset. Cameron uh, time period of like the early 2000s, probably like the late 90s when people remember Cameron's like first album and then, you know, th through the 2000s with Dipset and everything. Anyone who's kind of from a certain generation and from the tri-state area or follows hip hop remembers that. Um, and obviously, you know, when, when you would like any artist, especially in that time period too, you had the, the pop songs that they were trying to make the radio with. And they probably, most yep. of them had volumes of mixtape material that was more for the lyrical minded fans. You know what I mean? Of course. And what's funny is I remember this, um, uh, I remember having this on a burnt CD that somebody I knew had. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was probably one of Adam's, uh, Adam Rotella of Anal Birth, um, you know, past guest of the show, good friend of mine. His, one of his younger brothers um, uh, used to burn me CDs all the time of, of different hip hop mixtapes that he would get from wherever. And they used to sell a lot of mixtapes around here still. Uh, in the early 2000s at different, um, you know, little bodegas and shops where you'd find them. And that Children of the Corn Collector's Edition, most of those songs, if not all of them, were definitely on some CD I had many years ago. I used to wear that out and have different songs from that on cassette mixes I had made in the early 2000s. And so, so I recognized most of that. And the um, the thing that strikes me about it most is the production and the beats. Uh, it's just got such a classic, warm analog sound like that's what i want out of hip-hop yeah. you know what i mean and it's, it's a, now it's a very niche genre of hip-hop to to want the things to sound that way you know it's the cult demo days if you think about it we look for the similar qualities in two different spectrums of music yeah we, yeah we want that raw you want that heavy you know that dark stuff a hundred percent, man. I think, you know, I, this is going to bother me now because there was a guest on the show a while ago now and we were talking about how death metal 
uh, and gore grind and some of those low end styles of music sound best on cassette tape. And I was talking about how I, th- I feel the same way with hip hop. You know what I mean? And you know, that's yep. like, that's, this is the kind of hip hop I like where, um, the beats, there's the, the production itself and the beats are an atmosphere, you know, not to take anything away from the, the, the lyricism that's going on. Uh, and the, the the play on words that you're constantly hearing. So yeah, this is an awesome recommendation, man. Um, not to drag it out, but definitely because you know I, I see people pop up. Like I said, um, uh, people know Big L. People know some of the the more you know like a lot of pe- everyone's on Wu Tang. Everyone knows Wu Tang now, rightfully so. This is another New York hip hop group from back in the day that maybe should get more shine and maybe would have had things going differently, man. So rest in peace to those guys, and um, thanks for bringing this in, man. Of course. All right, man. That was Children of the Corn with uh, Collector's Edition. Like that wasn't you said that wasn't like an official album. That's more like a mixtape. People could probably find somewhere, yep. right? You could find it online. Yeah, or yeah, in a bodega nearby. Hopefully, <laughs> in true hip hop fashion, an album you might be able to find at a random. Uh, camping shed in in the in the forest in Finland somewhere. Uh, we had to revisit this one, man. Shout shout again to our guest uh, tonight from tonight's interview, Mike Monday of Frozen Soul. He recommended uh, sentenced. What was the what was the album title? You oh man, you put me on the shadows of the past. Thank yeah, I put you on the past because you bailed me hey. out, man. Like so many, like so many times before, man. Sentence shadows of the past, and the reason I didn't know that, I'm gonna admit it and be uh, again um, upfront with the listeners. I neglected this album for a long time. Uh, I gave it a shot, like about a while ago, maybe a year or two ago, when I was reading that Rotting Ways to Misery book, which is named after a song on this album that we're talking about. Um, I, I tried to give Sentence a, a chance, you know, and I can appreciate what's going on in some of their later doom metal albums. And this first album, which is just pure cryptic, doomy death metal with very melodic leads. Um, I think I just was looking for something different when I when I popped this. You know, sometimes you're looking for something different so you don't appreciate what's going on. But I, I gave this another try. Um, and I got to say, man, this is a really cool fucking album. It's It's got all that darkness. Uh, it's a little bit more. I want to say it maybe leans a little bit more to, towards the Swedish end of things than some of those uh, yep. cloudier, darker Finnish albums I like so much. You know, there's a little bit more of your classic metal sound in there, which may have been why it took me a little bit longer to, to wrap my brain around it. But uh, what did you think, man? I agree with all of that. I, I did notice that Swedish twinge, right, for a Finnish band. It does sound like a Finnish band because you have that heavy atmosphere, but it doesn't have that kind of different quote-unquote sound that Demolich, Demolich and uh, Adramalik has. It's a little more in line with a demigod, right? But when I heard Shadows of the Past, and this is really the only sentence album I'm really familiar with, it's got more like a bolt thrower. And I don't mean to reduce the band to just comparisons, but it gives it has that driving quality of bolt thrower, 
but with a little more mm-hmm. of uh, the Scandinavian melodicism and leads. So they almost, you know, and it makes sense that uh, Frozen Soul is recommending this because they have that driving quality to their music. Um, yeah, yeah so something that translates live. Yes, definitely. Um, and I think, like, they, like you know, we talk about the leads and the harmonies, the kind of melodic uh, sensibility of this album. Like I said before, it's just not what I uh, associate with, like, your old school Finnish bands, which are usually a little bit more, like, cryptic and obscure sounding, whereas this, it sounds more proper metal. Yep. Uh, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Which is why I guess in my mind, it kind of like falls in maybe with more like your, your dismember and your, um, or at the gates or those kind of very, very properly melodic bands, which are good in their own right, but you know, a different kind of, uh, sound identity. But yeah, this sentence, it's so raw and it's got a really cool guitar tone and a dark feel, man. It's just like, it's it's one of those old school albums that's really just kind of waiting for you to, to to listen to it on its own terms um, and in context and kind of fall in love with, man. Really cool shit. And, I, you know, it makes me want to listen to some of their later material with new ears, too, just to kind of maybe trace the trajectory of the band a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to say, too, the uh, the vocals kind of remind me of Martin uh, from Asphix and Pestilence. Kind of not as throaty, but like very similar tonality. So. It's cool hearing all these different elements, but I'm glad you brought up um, hearing different eras of the band. And I can kind of tie this back to Children of the Corn and, and Cameron. Sentence mm. put out very different material. And I kind of, you know, I clicked around and heard some newer stuff. And it's just like, w- what band am I listening to? Right. But huh. they do still manage to hold certain elements of melodicism and atmosphere. So if you can get past like certain stylistic shifts, you can see what the artist is ultimately going for. Maybe I'm just giving them too much credit, right? But, but I'm noticing this and I'm thinking about this with Cameron, right? I mentioned the Maltese. So Cameron maintained that from the old days to the new days, but the subject matter and the feel of the, and the music around it kind of shifted. So I brought yeah, it from Harlem yeah. to Finland, Harlem to Helsinki, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, man. I, I'll give you that, man. I I appreciate that. And I definitely think it works too, man, because that's there's something universal to that with artists. I think the the best artists, if they're around for a long period of time, something's gonna change from album to album. It might not always be as drastic as these guys that we're talking about, but there's always um there's always a core there, you know, throughout throughout the changes, man. I mean you could even look at a um look at a band like uh uh you know, just for instance, Morbid Angel. Um, I may not like every single Morbid Angel album that was ever released, but, you know, they really never put out two albums that sounded exactly the same. They were always trying something a little different here and there. They were never afraid to experiment. Yeah, at least they were a little more musically consistent, kind of like Suffocation. They, they've they changed, yeah. but musically they're the same. But when you think of bands more like Amorphous and Sentence and look at that trajectory... That's a. They they keep certain fundamental elements, but at least on the heavy side, it, it gets it's real different. And if you want to keep comparing them to Cameron, I think there's also something to be said for adapting your style to be more commercial. Yeah. Um, and to change with the times too, because over there, I get a feeling that a band like Sentence was more in tune with. Uh, the commercial market for their type of music as well, um, and what they could do in terms of that. So. 
Definitely something to be said for that, man. For sure. All right, man. So I'm going to ask Tom. Big shout out to Tom and Justin, always behind the scenes. All right, that, and that was a little taste of, um, what was the album again? <laughs> Sentence, <laughs> Shadows of the Past from 1992. Oh, of course, man. Big shout out to Mike Monday of Frozen Soul, guitarist of Frozen Soul, recommending that during the interview, man, and uh, giving us his time. Terrell, shout to you. Um, displaying just now why I always need a co-host, man. There's always <laughs> something I leave out or forget. I need somebody with it printed up on the on the computer screen real quick. Um, thank you very much, man. I got to ask you for, for, for the listeners. I said before, um, obviously you're in a couple of projects with me, but what's going on with Thetis? Oh, so Thetis is, we're pushing along. We've got the second album pretty much written and we're looking to start demoing and doing some pre-production on that. And, uh, it's interesting. It's a different, it's a different vibe. And we're going to have to see if, uh, the Rotrevor guitarist theory of the second album being better. Uh, comes true because you know i think that's a it's a viable theory when you think of a a lot of bands yeah we talked about that before man the the uh the sophomore theory i'm not going to say whether i agree with it or not there's certain instances where it it maybe is it a coincidence i don't know um we're also going to find out when reeking aura puts out our next album um one of the bands that you and i are in and that, that 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 brings us around to our plug in case you missed it somehow we just had um, uh, we had episodes featuring the band Hath and Carrion Vale, uh, Reeking Aura, Terrell's band, um, that I'm lucky enough to sing for, uh, with other members of Grey Skies Fallen, Unearthly Trance, uh, Sam from Blame God and Stab. There's a big old party in that band, Reeking Aura. We're going on the road with Carrion Vale and Hath, um, the 8th of November, we're going to be in Philly at Kung Fu Necktie. The 9th, uh, we're going to be at the Shamrockin' in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, then Thursday and Friday, we're going to be in Tennessee, bro, which is crazy. The 10th, we're going to be in Nashville at the end. The 11th, we're going to be in Knoxville, Tennessee at Brickyard. Uh, looking forward to both of those shows, man. We're, we're paying our Tennessee dues early in this band, we're trying to get out there on the road and get it. Shout out to everybody out there in Pittsburgh as well, because on the 12th, we're going to be playing the Shred Shed. They tried to trick my Long Island, my Long Island accent, but I got it. Um, the Shred Shed out there in Pittsburgh on the twelfth, and then we're coming home, man. So we got some some fly merch. Uh, we got those hoodies. We're gonna restock some of those before tour. Uh, if if you if you have, if you missed the boat on that, Reeking Aura's got um, uh, we got like two different t shirt designs now. I'm about to drop another one. We got the bright green agricultural death metal hoodies. Uh, look for Reeking Aura on social media. Rick's pumping those out. Shout out to Rick, our uh, our guitarist, yeah. doing all the uh, the mail order mail order on that um that's why when you open it up you you may want to step hold your face back from the package it may smell overwhelmingly of lavender <laughs> or huff it if you want yeah yes yeah, yeah whatever whatever <laughs> floats your boat all right uh <laughs> but um but enough about rick man shout out to him uh so that's where we're at with reeking aura man um 
uh, we can't really announce that other show. We're working on something in December. Uh, we're going to be hitting Long Island again before the holidays, but that's not, not announced. But something that is announced, uh, Afterbirth, uh, another band I'm very fortunate to work with. We're going to be hitting that Amityville Music Hall November the 27th, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Nice early show, doors at 4 p.m., I believe, Ooh. with a Mortal Suffering Torturous Inception and Fester Gore, both from Staten Island, and Bowel Erosion. Beautiful. Make it a family affair. You throw Bowel Erosion on there, it's a family event uh, for Thanksgiving, man. Beautiful. Over there at the Amityville Music Hall, November 27th. Uh, did I miss anything, Terrell? Any other shows coming up? I don't know. I'll bring the stuff. Dude, it's been so many shows, I could barely keep up. I could just remember the yeah, shows you went yeah. to. Yeah, we. I gotta say, shout out to Accept. I don't know if Accept is playing uh, tomorrow uh, on Long Island. They're, they've had some trouble with their singer. The singer. We, we wish him the best. We wish he gets his voice back and all that sort of thing, man. Um, and Terrell, I'm glad you kept your voice today, man. Thank you very much for joining me on the show and for those recommendos. Uh, switching it up a little bit. You took us to France and to Harlem and back again. Um, and big shout to Mike Monday, uh, guitarist of Frozen Soul, taking us to Fort Worth, Texas, and Finland and back again, man. Uh, Terrell, um, anything you want to say before we get out of here, buddy? Nah, it'll be good. I just remembered, though, Iron Maiden's playing in New Jersey tomorrow, so I'm going to see if I could finagle my way oh. into that show. Yeah, it's going to be a similar they're... situation to the Coliseum, but more in my terms, I guess. I'm picturing you getting there, and that guy Junior is there <laughs> with his handler wearing the same clothes, two Bud Lights deep, just like, oh, what's up? <laughs> you know, like, you didn't look like a fucking Iron Maiden fan either. I don't know. But um, the Iron Maiden's actually playing Belmore tonight. Um, this is like a crazy tri-state metal earthquake the last week or two. Uh, Cavalera Conspiracy was beautiful. That was awesome. Um, yeah, man, that we'll, we'll get into that another time, but that was a beautiful experience, man. Um, if you want more of these beautiful experiences, we've been doing this for a while now. People can always go back and check out past episodes of heavy hole podcast. We've had everyone from, uh, uh, Mike Browning from Nocturnus to, uh, Kelly Schaefer of atheist to, um, Trevor Perez of obituary and many, many, many more artists and behind the scenes people. We got a Patreon with a couple of the old bonus episodes. If you feel like supporting us behind the scenes, uh, every once in a while we buy a microphone or something like that we don't really treat ourselves too bad um uh we don't really trick ourselves off your money too bad off of that and follow us on the social medias that count man heavy hole podcast big shout out to tom and justin behind the scenes also uh dave and uh rick and um cody hager and all the other uh, extended members of the heavy hole podcast team and terrell i appreciate your time buddy thank you thank you for having me and thanks for taking me to see Jer judas priest in long island bro it was awesome yeah of course, it was shout to Junior. It was shout a live one. We're TJ and Bill, All by right. the way, signing off. Yeah, TJ and Bill signing off. A real live one. Mm -hmm.